Anymore. But there are a few sayings that people say that they might think are biblical that actually aren't biblical, right? Cleanliness is next to godliness, you know, stuff like that. We could go on. Another one is God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, that, that's in the book of first speculations somewhere. It's not actually in the Bible. It should make a, a, make a Christian turn and stop and think and be like, that, that doesn't sound totally right. It doesn't sound biblical because it's not. And the reality is that there are some things that we can't help. We can try and help our own situation as much as possible, and sometimes it's just not possible. And so that's not contingent on God's help for us. And we are forced to make a decision at that point. Either we trust in God or we give in to fear, worry, and anxiety, and despair. And so much of life is a matter of trust and things that we can't control. You guys are all trusting right now in these finely constructed seats, right? You didn't do any load testing or check out any of the welds or anything when you walked in here. You just sat down. You're trusting. When we trust, we fly in an airplane, we trust that the airplane will stay together and, and land like it's supposed to. So much of life is a matter of trust. And as Christians, who are we called to trust? Why are we called to trust God? And how do we do that? And that's some of the questions I hope and pray will be answered today by David in Psalm 37. So we're making our way through our summer series in the Psalms. Last week we were at Psalm 36 where David just gushes on and on about the faithfulness of God, his steadfast love, his loyal covenant faithfulness. We learn that God does have common grace for all of his creatures. Every single human being on earth is made in the image of God and experiences his common sustaining grace. But he also has special grace towards his people. And so church, this has to have a dramatic effect then as his special people, his adopted sons and daughters, on the hope that we fix our lives on. One theologian calls this psalm the fretter's psalm. So if you are apt to worry, this is your psalm. You can write my psalm on the top of Psalm 37 here, fretter's psalm. We've got a lot of verses to get through this morning and much encouragement. So let's look again at Psalm 37. I'll read a chunk for us to refresh our memory. He starts off right away, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And we see again our, our superscript simply tells us that this is a psalm of David this morning once again. It's a long and familiar psalm with a lot of encouragement for us. 
But once again, this encouragement, you're going to see a difference between two people in here. Already you've seen it in the first 11 verses. You see the wicked and you see the righteous. This is encouragement for us, the righteous. This is warnings for the wicked, but this is also reminders of the character of God. And David starts his first section with several introductory commands with explanations. It's kind of classic Hebrew poetry. He'll give you the one thing, he'll give you the command, and then he'll give you a reason why he's giving you that command, or the blessings of obedience, or the warnings for not obeying it. In verse 1, we see two commands. He says, fret not, or as CSB puts it, do not be agitated by evildoers. Anybody be agitated by evildoers? by evil they see around you. Do not be envious or jealous of them. Why would we be jealous or envious of evildoers? Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like they're getting away with it. Sometimes it seems like evil is just running amok and no one is doing anything about it. It's the reality of life in a lot of ways because evil is real. And David is saying, I wish I could run around doing evil all day and not get in trouble. In verse 2, he gives us the answer and our encouragement. Why? Because they will soon fade like the grass and wither up like the green plant in July in Vernon when there hasn't been rain in several weeks. In verses 3 through 8 is rapid fire encouragement and exhortations to be faithful. Church, look at the text with me. Look at some of these things. These are commands. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, which is a little bit dangerous when we kind of say, okay, I'm just going to make myself happy in Jesus, and then whatever I want is going to end up on my front porch. That's not really what this is saying at all. It's not a magic formula that we can use to manipulate God. The whole point is to, to delight ourselves where? In God. We delight ourselves in God. We want what God wants. Our heart gets transformed to want the things that make him happy. And the Lord blesses us over and above with peace and blessings. David goes on with the commands. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. Be still before the Lord, which is actually Hebrew for shut your mouth. Stop. Just be still. Remember who you're talking to. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret. Do not worry about evil. Why? Again, he tells us, because God will eventually judge him. In a little while, evil will be cut off, David says. They will be no more. And he says, but, but the meek, not a word we use very often, a settled and humble trust in Jesus the meek will inherit the land, and the meek will be delighted in peace. Here's our first point. We are commanded to trust God instead of worrying about evil. We are commanded to trust God instead of worrying about evil. David tells us the secret of how to stop fretting about evil. He says, trust God. Thanks, Pastor Mike. I'll get right on that. Glad we could wrap that up early this morning. Just trust God. And in fact, just that's actually what Melanie said to me right before I went up here and we read it. She's like, you're just going to walk up there and tell him to trust God? I'm like, yep. <laughs> I mean, I admit, it, seem, it, it seems trite, right? That we just, but that's what this says to do, right? We're going to find out more about why that is. 
Firstly, pick up, pick up one warning in verse 8. If you fret about evil, it tells us it's going to only lead to more evil. You're going to worry about evil, it's just going to make you more consumed with evil. It's going to make you focused on who? The evil instead of God. It's going to consume you. He also promises abundant blessings from trusting the Lord instead of worrying about evil. One commentator writes, here's the best cure for dissatisfaction with the present and anxiety about the future that we leave both of them in the hands of God. We leave both dissatisfaction with the present and anxiety about the future in the hands of God. Can we be tempted to worry about evil? Can we be tempted to fret about what they seem to get away with or a lack of justice that we perceive? Maybe we spend too much time reacting to the news sites, getting too fired up by the politics. Maybe too much time on social media looking what everyone else is doing and getting all riled up, getting all envious. Never cruising the comment stream, seeing if somebody's going to get it for that stupid thing that they put on Facebook. Right? Maybe too much time focusing on our neighbors, how they live their lives, maybe our extended family and how they discipline their kids or don't discipline their kids or their worldviews or political views. Maybe it's that one guy at work or that one student in class with you that never pulls their own weight and never seems to get called out for it. Maybe it's that one business deal where we totally got messed over and we hold such bitterness in our hearts and feel that altered the trajectory of our lives. Maybe it's that dream that one day, one day in the perfect situation, if all the stars are lined up, you are going to finally get to cuss that person out. And you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to tell them every reason why they're so stupid and why they're going to burn forever. And you're going to love every minute of it. Consumed with evil. And God's word commands us to trust God instead of fretting over evil. How? And I would say, church, it's more of who. Who do we trust? Not necessarily how do we trust. When we fail to trust God, we are forgetting who God is. We are forgetting his attributes, his characteristics. We're saying God isn't God. We're saying God is untrustworthy. I know God, but I'm just going to, you know, I'm not really sure I can leave this in your hands. This issue is a little tricky. I don't know if you saw all the details that happened with it. So I'm just going to continue to worry about this myself and plot my own evil and my own revenge. Jerry Bridges wrote a terrible book called Trusting God. I'm just kidding. It's an excellent book. It's very, very convicting. He says this, God views our distrust of him as seriously as our disobedience. When we fail to trust God, we doubt his sovereignty and we question his goodness. See what I mean? It's a terrible book, very convicting. God views our distrust as seriously as he views our disobedience. Why? Because we're taking issue with his character. We're taking issue in who he is. We're saying, God, I got this. David is going to give us many reasons, in, or he has already in the first 11 ver verses of this text, 
about the character and the faithfulness of God. God can be trusted. And his commands, he commands his children to trust him. This is active obedience, church. This isn't passive obedience, just kind of waiting in our bedrooms, waiting to be charged up with the Holy Spirit, and then hopefully all our fears, worry, and anxiety will go away. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about active obedience. But what about evil? Will they get what's coming to them? And David says, let God worry about them. That's where he goes next. Look at verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. And the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draws the sword and bends the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. Better is the little that a righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. What other reasons do we have to trust God and not fret over evil? Because God is sovereign, because God is just, because God is seeing all things fairly, completely, honestly. And evil is actually, literally, not getting away with anything. David tells us about how God will deal with the wicked. Remember, first and foremost, evil is not just our enemy, church. Sometimes we personalize it so much. When we see the, the, the effects of evil in our lives or we're the victims of someone's sin against us or we just see evil in the world, we personalize it. First and foremost, evil is an offense against a holy God. He is the most offended about evil. And he says they can make their plans, they can gnash their teeth, they can stockpile their weapons, they can prey on the helpless, they can target the righteous. And you know what God does? He laughs. He laughs. Reminds me of Psalm 2, where God says this about evil. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. It's comical to God that the wicked think that they're getting away with it. They are not. And David tells us one day they will perish. They will vanish. They will be cut off from the land. They will be cursed by God. What is better in the eyes of the Lord? David says the little that the righteous have is better in the eyes of the Lord, than the abundance of what the wicked have. Why? Well, probably because of the way that the wicked got their abundance. They cheated. They borrowed. They did not pay back. Verse 21 tells us that. The wicked borrow and do not pay back. That's how they accumulate all of their possessions and all of their power. Boy, if this isn't a commentary on our debt-laden society today, if you're putting stuff on a credit card with absolutely no idea of how you're going to pay that back, you're acting like the wicked. God has it all planned out. He is sovereign over every square inch of his creation. He has the days of the wicked numbered. They will give an account to him someday. Remember, church, 
although it may seem like it sometimes when we turn on the news or look at the news sites or whatever, it seems like evil is overwhelming and getting away with things. Remember, evil is not getting away with anything. They're not. These are comforting words in today's culture, isn't it? It's, dis- it's depressing sometimes when we look at the news. It's aggravating. But evil is getting away with nothing. Remember this psalm. The arms of the wicked will be broken. They won't be able to do any more evil. They will one day be gone. But the righteous, he says, they will prosper and their legacy will endure. Evil isn't getting away with anything. The Lord sees it all. And here's the point. We can trust God because he will deal with evil. We can trust God because he will deal with evil. What we are actually saying when we fret over evil instead of trusting God is that, God, you can't handle this. God, you're not going to have that day. You don't see them doing these things. There's no judgment coming for them. We're saying we don't believe in, in God and trust in God that he can't be trusted to deal with evil. So we better deal with evil. We know exactly how the revenge should go, don't we? In our sinful little hearts. And a level of worry assumes a certain amount of perceived control over a situation, right? We're worrying about stuff because we think we have a way that we can control it. That's the whole point. David says, this is out of your hands. This is out of your jurisdiction. This is God's lane. God will deal with evil. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't advocate for justice, or speak up for what is true and what is right, we should certainly do those things. We should follow the law. We should uphold it. We should fight for the law to be followed. But our ultimate hope when we are being persecuted by evil is not how we are going to make things right. It's how God is going to make things right. David is screaming at us this morning, yes, you can trust God to deal with evil. Just calm down. Don't get all wrapped up in fretting and worrying about evil. Not only that, we're way out of our lane. This is God's lane. One of the most famous verses is verses verses in the Bible that most people would know, that maybe they don't know it comes from Scripture. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Paul talking to the church at Rome, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Revenge is not the responsibility of the Christian. Revenge is the responsibility of a perfect, holy, sinless God. What is our responsibility? Well, Paul's been telling us, David's been telling us, overcome evil with good. Leave room for the wrath of God. Do not worry about evil because God will eventually deal with evil. We talk often about the wrath of God at Highlands Bible Church. It's the whole reason Jesus went to the cross, right? And sometimes it gets a little weird because people are like, I don't want to think about God as a wrathful God. I get that. But friends, this is where the wrath of God is a good thing. 
Because if we've been sinned against, if we have been assaulted, if, if there, we, something had, terrible has happened to us, a sexual assault, something like that, something with children, right? And that person escapes justice in this life, you better believe we're thankful for the wrath of God at that point because they will not escape the wrath of God. There's a part of the wrath of God that we need to be thankful for. The evil is getting away with nothing. It's way out of our job description. It's way out of our ability. It is outright sin when we try to do something that God says is mine. It's right out of the old law, by the way. Paul is quoting God's law. And he says, revenge is mine, not yours. I will deal with evil. Taking revenge or fantasizing about taking revenge is sin. And sometimes people get consumed with the idea of vengeance. We think about it way too much. We hold bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts toward a person for an offense that they might not even be aware of. And we can trust God because he will deal with evil. God deals 100% fairly and justly with all. He will repay the wicked, but church, be encouraged. He will also cause us, the righteous, to be preserved. That's where David goes next. Deep breath. There's a big, big chunk on this last part. Some of y'all walked in here this morning and saw 40 verses, and like the bald guy has lost his mind. 30 verses. It's 113 degrees in here. Lunch is, is gone. We're never going to have lunch. We're never going to... Don't worry. We're going to get there. I have a plan. I have a plan. There's, there's a method to my madness, and in the hopes to organize this into digestible sections, first we focused on the commands of God to trust Him instead of worrying about evil. Then we focused on God and what he's doing, and he promises to judge evil, and we need to leave that to him. And now we're going to look at this last section where God has a couple commands that are buried deep in here, that he shows that he will preserve the righteous. Look at verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've, seen, I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good so you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he's brought to trial. Did you catch that very important prerequisite in the first verse? He says, in 23, he says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, but there's a condition there. In 23, when he, the Lord, delights in that man's way. We have a responsibility in this church. This isn't the God that takes care of those who take care of themselves. It is the God who takes care of those who want to live God's way. When that happens, even if we fall, our text tells us God will pick us back up. He will not let his children beg for bread. He will lavish us greatly with blessings. 
The Lord will not forsake his saints. We are preserved forever. We'll dwell safely in the land. Of course, in immediate context, this is Israel, right? This is Israel dwelling safely in their land from enemies. But we know that the Bible tells one story. The people of God, we are the people of God now in the new covenant. And he's establishing us metaphorically, prophetically, in preservation. The Lord will not forsake his saints. While the wicked watch to see how they can destroy the righteous, God won't allow that to happen. He will be with them like a lawyer in court, defending them from unfair treatment. He will not let them be condemned. And so what's our role in this? Well, remember those commands? There, there are actually three sets of commands in this last section that are, are buried. And look at verse 27 for where those commands are. It says, turn away from evil and do good. And here's the blessing. So shall you dwell forever. The more we turn away from evil, the more that we do good, the more our heart is sanctified, the more that we are growing more into the image and likeness of God himself, the more we want what God wants and hate what God hates. Turn away from evil and do good, and so you shall live forever. Verse 34, there's another set of commands. Look, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on where the wicked are cut off. I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. What's the commands there? Wait for the Lord and keep his way. And where's the promise? He will exalt you to inherit the land. Church, we have responsibilities. This is active waiting. We are turning from evil. We are doing good. We are waiting for the Lord. We are keeping his way. In verse 37, we have another command. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there's a future for the men of peace. But the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. He says, here's more commands. Mark the way of the blameless or take note of the way of the blameless. Observe the way of the blameless. When you're doing that, what are you not doing? Focusing on evil. It seems like Sometimes we can be so up to date in everything that evil is doing. Did you see this on the news? Did you see that? Did you see this person? Did you see the Democrats said this? Or did you do, you know, all, it goes on and on and on, right? He says, don't do that. Take note of the righteous. Observe the holy. Observe the ones that are doing what I'm calling you to do. Not the evil. There is your role model. The righteous are your role model. There's your example, not the transgressors. And he says, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is our stronghold in the time of trouble. Here's what David's telling us. We can trust God because he's promised to preserve the righteous. We can trust God because he's promised to preserve the righteous. God sees all. It's kind of in his job description, right? If you're going to call yourself God, you're going to have to be in charge of all things. And you're going to have to know all things at all times. Evil's not getting away with anything. We've said that. But he also sees the righteous church. 
Last time, we, last section, we're focusing on that God sees the evil. But also remember, he sees everything the righteous does too. He sees the people that are endeavoring to live a life faithful to the calling that we've received in 2022 America, which is really hard to do. He sees the scorn and the persecution that we get from our family and friends. He sees how hard we fight against sin. He sees the righteous, and we can trust God because he's promised to preserve the righteous. Look back at the text. We have our commands, but God never gives us empty commands. It's never box checking, right? We remember church that obeying God is not only commanded by God, but it's worth it. It is literally the best thing that we can do for ourselves is to obey God's law. What God tells us to do is kind of one of those general commands of life, right? Generally, there's not a promise. This is where prosperity gospel people lose their mind and go off in this direction, right? But generally, if you do what God tells you to do, your life is going to go better than if you don't. General principle. That's what he's saying here. He says, don't get consumed with evil. He said, do what I tell you to do. Turn away from evil. Do good. Wait for the Lord. Keep his way. Look at the blameless and behold the upright. Focus on those things. Look at the promises I have for those who do those things. But the righteous have to act righteous. That's how we got our name. We have to act like that. It's another psalm of contrast. We have the wicked, but we also have the righteous. The wicked will act wickedly, but the righteous need to act righteously. To those that know God and live like they know God, evil, as scary as it is sometimes, cannot destroy us. Why? Because God's promised to preserve the righteous. Even when it looks like evil's getting away with it or getting the upper hand, or evil, even when evil is successful in persecuting the church, God will preserve us. We are to continue in righteousness even when we're in the midst of evil all around us. Even for those who are martyred for their faith, which still happens every day, it seems like, in, in countries that are hostile to the gospel. God preserves them how? Well, God didn't preserve them. They died. No, they got promoted. They're in heaven. They're in glory. They have the most unfathomable rewards ever. He's preserving them. We have a future that is secure with God, no matter what it looks like around us, church. We need to be encouraged in that. So therefore, we can trust God. And the evidence of trusting God, then, is what? Our righteousness. See, it's kind of like this big circle. Like, we're trusting God, and we're being more righteous, and then the evidence of us trusting God is that we grow in faith, and we trust God more, and we worry less. And God has promises for our future because we trust in Him. Look at the last verse. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in Him. One commentator says that the whole lesson of the psalm is in these words. Why does the Lord help them? Why does the Lord deliver them? Why does He save them from the wicked? Because they take refuge in Him. In other words, they trust Him. Here's the big idea. God will deliver those who trust God. God will deliver those who trust God. And let's be honest. It might not look how we want it to look some days or how we thought it would turn out. It might not be our timing. It rarely ever is. 
But ultimately, God is faithful. He delivers those who trust God. Evil will not destroy the righteous. God will not let it happen. But I also want us to be protected here from this formulaic faith. This, this isn't manipulating the God Almighty to get what we want. Well, God, I did my quiet time this morning. Almost hit 45 minutes, so uh, I should like have the best Monday ever, right? That's, that's not how this works. We don't manipulate God to get blessings. But church, there are blessings in obedience. There are. I want us to pr be protected from this formulaic faith. And, and again, maybe central to all of this, what is the ultimate example of God delivering us from evil? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That moment that, that our first parents turned from God and rejected him and his care and his governance and his rule and his authority and spit in his face, he promised right then and there that evil wouldn't win. Genesis 3, as soon as he came down, as soon as it happened, he says, there is someone coming who's going to crush your head. Evil will not win. The ultimate example, church, of how God can be trusted is Jesus Christ. He did not let evil win. The ultimate proof for us that God will not allow evil to win is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He did that with his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, his glorious resurrection. He did what no man could ever do. He defeated evil by paying the price of our sin and defeating the work of the devil. And so when we're tempted to not believe the words of this psalm, look forward to what this psalm points to, which is the work of Jesus Christ, where he defeated evil. The work is done. So this psalm is a call for us to trust God no matter what we see going on around us. How do we practically trust God? At the risk of being overly simplistic, choose to trust God. No matter how you feel. One author put it this way. Trusting God is always initiated by an act of the will on our part. We set ourselves to believe, watch this, in the overfilling goodness, providence, and sovereignty of God, and we refuse to turn aside no matter what may come, no matter how we feel. Did you see what that author did there? They said, don't just white-knuckle it and trust in God. Trust in who God is. This is fill your heart to the, the brim of who God is his overfilling goodness, his providence, his sovereignty, and set your mind to refuse to give in no matter what may come, no matter how you feel. And so church, I exhort you this morning, when we are tempted to worry and despair about what we see around us or in the situations we find ourselves in, press into the character of who God is. It's not so much what you're trusting in, but who you're trusting in. We set our wills to trust God because we know who God is. And we keep trusting God because of who he is. Not how we feel and not how we actively walk in it. We get after it. This assumes we know who we're trusting. And that always falls into two camps, right? Maybe there's someone here that actually doesn't know God in this way. 
that doesn't know the gospel, that hasn't made that actual conscious decision that says, yes, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and His name is Jesus. If you haven't done that, you don't really know who God is. You need to do that. And I exhort you and encourage you to do that. If you want to talk to me about that, it's my favorite thing to talk about. But for us, church, remember, when we're tempted to fear, we're in anxiety, especially in the context of when we see evil around us, remember the character of who God is. Go to this psalm and be reminded of his goodness and of his faithfulness. Christian, how well do we know our God? We are commanded to trust God instead of worrying about evil. We can trust God because he will deal with evil and he has promised to preserve the righteous. God will deliver those who trust God. Let's pray that we can know God as he has revealed himself in his word. And let's pray that when we're tempted to fret over evil, we would trust our God. Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the words of exhortation that are in it, Lord. We know that, that David was facing real enemies and real armies. And Lord, most of our battles are spiritual. They're against worldviews. They're against ideas that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And we pray that we would be reminded this morning of who God is in His character. Lord, in Your faithfulness that You can be trusted in your sovereignty and your, your all-knowing, all-seeing. Know that we, you would deal with evil in the perfect way. And Lord, we know that you are a God of love and that you are a God of grace and that you are a God who keeps his promises and that we can trust you because you will preserve us. Help us, Lord. Instead of fretting and worrying, may we trust you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.